You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. I want to speak to us this morning about something that may cause uh, discomfort. Um, emotions may come that you, that you haven't recalled for a long, long time as we delve into this topic. I felt uh, this week that I would like to speak on the topic of becoming unoffendable. Becoming unoffendable. And I was wondering uh, what, you, what you thought of that. The Lord has been urging me towards this uh, topic for some time. Um, I think uh, for quite a number of years I've been thinking about uh, the idea, but I haven't got the word of un- unoffendable. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it, but in the last year or so, uh, the Lord has brought it more to my attention. And uh, just in case um, you think that it's not possible or... Um, if you go by Microsoft Word, then you'll discover that unoffendable is not actually a word. <laughs> but we all know that it is a word. And if it hasn't been up until this point, then we've coined it. And uh, this is what I would like it to mean for us this morning. I want to break it down uh, into a way that we can understand it. Perhaps uh, we should um, like it to mean always ready and able not to be offended. Always ready and able not to be offended. So that makes it a little bit more possible or doable in the definition. You know, Abraham Lincoln always gets quoted uh, from various people and at various times. He's one of the most quoted people, I think. And here's another one. He said, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. I like that. But uh, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more of what the biblical understanding is. Well, I want us to eliminate an understanding before we go any farther. I'm not talking today about being thick-skinned. You know that uh, phrase, thick-skinned? It sounds like it's a good thing to be, but I prefer that we use the word unoffendable. And that's because thick-skinned can potentially come about through um, maybe people who have got that kind of a temperament, or it's through the hardships and the bangs and the knocks of life, they become what you would call thick-skinned, nothing can penetrate, no emotions, no good, no bad. And that's not really what we are talking about here. That's more like uh, the height of a rhinoceros. Um, My father was a stonemason. And when he started out in the stonemasonry, he had the little heavy hammer and the chisel or the bolster, and he'd bang, bang, ow! He'd bang his finger there, and it'd be really sore. It might open up. Then after a few months, it was bang, bang, ow! Ah, that's not too bad. Then after a few months, it was bang, 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 and he felt nothing because he had uh, created a callus on his finger there that was like, shoe leather. And so when he would hit himself with a hammer, he wouldn't feel anything. He'd just keep going. And uh, even though he came off the tools um, for many, many years, that callus never went away. And that's like what happens to people through the knocks of life. They can become thick-skinned. But we're not talking about that necessarily. Um, Thick-skinned. Another reason why I don't like the uh, thick-skinned term is because... um, When we talk about being thick-skinned, there is no place given for right and proper sensitivity. The person who becomes unoffendable in Christ always has a sensitiveness about them that allows the right kinds of sensitivities to penetrate into their hearts. The sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, sensitivity to the Word of God, and sensitivity to the needs of others, which may not happen in the case of a thick-skinned person. Um... So let's explore this whole idea of becoming unoffendable. 
Proverbs 19, verse 11 is a, a wonderful verse that came up in our readings this, more, uh, this week. Uh, if, we, if you have been doing the Murray McShane Bible reading from the beginning of the year, you will have had uh, Proverbs 19. And it says there that a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So um, if we can understand this morning that this problem of becoming offended and e being easily offended is actually overcomable or conquerable, it is going to give us a lot of hope and we're all going to gain a lot from this if we can actually move in that direction. So instead of being like a rhinoceros with a hide that can hardly be pierced, let's become more like a duck. You know, I was just wondering, how much effort does a duck need to make to make water run off it? Can you imagine a duck just when he gets in the water going like this here to keep the water out? He doesn't have to do anything, really. By God's design, by the nature of the, of the bird, and by his regular attention to his feathers, the water just runs off the duck. And it wouldn't be wonderful if offense ran off all of us all of the time, just like water running off a duck's back. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, that is what I think we should be aiming, aiming for as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it's possible. And we'll go into that a bit later on. So um, what does it mean to take offense? And first of all, I would like to clear up any misunderstanding here this morning. Uh, to take offense doesn't mean that you remove the boundary from your neighbors, uh, you know, between your neighbors and walk away. That, that is not what that means. Yeah. Okay, take offense. Yeah. So just in case you did misunderstand my language, it means the following. It means to resent something. Listen to the tone of all these words, by the way, because I tend to think that taking offense is a euphemism for what it really is. To resent, to be upset, to be outraged, to be put out, to be miffed. You know that one, miffed? To be displeased. Here's a fantastic one. To take umbrage. Umbrage, what is umbrage? Be disgruntled, be affronted, be piqued. Take the needle, get riled. Uh, J.D. Clampett always used to say he got riled. You know the Beverly Hillbillies? No, maybe you don't watch that. Um, <laughs> take the huff, go into a huff, and be huffy. That's anything positive about all those words, anything positive at all? Do you detect anything that's really uh, noble about those words? You know, to take offense seems a little bit noble in all the rest of them, doesn't it? But it's not noble. It's ignoble. And uh, so we need to remember that. Taking offense is actually a choice. It's not a passive thing. So let's think of a few examples of taking offense. Um, what about that driver who cuts you off? What does that do to you? Please just think about the emotions. <laughs> think, think now about the emotions. Are they happy, good emotions, or are they, is there steam coming out of your imaginary ears? Oh, drivers who cut you off. And how, what, what about, even if it's worse, if, if, say it's she this time, and she gives you the rude sign as she passes by, what does that do? That really, really gets you going, doesn't it? Um, does that go to the very core of your being? You've been offended. Why, why would you be offended? Have you ever stopped and asked your question, why would you be offended at that? Um, 
Or does that situation wash off you like water off a duck's back and you merrily go on your way listening to your DVD? Okay. Oh, what about that line manager at work who, who treats you like dirt? How does that affect you? How, what, what, what's going on when you think about that line manager? What's your emotion now? And then what about those people out there who deliberately promote things that are evil in front of you to get you going? Do they succeed in offending you or me? Do we cave in and do we take offense? Maybe a good thing just to think about that for a minute. Get, I'm sure the emotions were coming thick and fast there. Maybe you just remembered what happened last week. Now, I want us to take a moment or two and have a little test, a little multiple choice test. It'll soon be up there, I reckon. Um, first question I'd like us to ask is, am I highly offendable? And the answer to that should be um, found in uh, the frequency of those emotions that you just felt then. How often do they come to you? If they come regularly every day, then you're a, a highly offendable person. Um, do they come moderately, uh, frequently or moderately? Or are you occasionally offendable, rarely offendable, or never offendable? I'd like us to take a moment and think about that and tick only one box. So, you got your answer? Okay, you can keep that between you and the Lord. So, how do we get offended? There are a few ways I think that we get offended. And uh, first of all, when our rights or our, our seeming rights are violated, um, something goes, comes into our lives that infringes upon our rights, and uh, we get uh, really uh, upset, offended about that. Say, for instance, someone parks across your driveway and you can't get out, something like that. We get furious, we get offended, anger spills over. Then when someone con contradicts our opinion, um, they have a different opinion. Perhaps it's in the manner in which they contradict our opinion that gets us a bit riled and offended. Then maybe someone speaks ill of us or our friends or our family. They say blood is thicker than water. If two siblings can be fighting each other and then someone insults one or the other and they turn on the insulter. You know, yeah, someone speaks ill of us, friends, family, or our work. Someone uh, downgrades our work. That's really offensive, isn't it, at times? We can take offense over that when they say that our product is rubbish. Someone ignores our person. That is a, another very real way of being offended. Have you ever been in a room and nobody speaks to you? That's, that can be really, really offending can't it, if we take it if we take that offense. Um, people don't usually go back to churches where no one speaks to them. Thankfully, we have now, and, and praise the Lord, we have a wonderful reputation of speaking to people, and I want to commend you upon that, for that. That is wonderful. But if we're ignored, that can be a cause for us to take offense. And then someone thwarts our will. We can see that in the very youngest child babies, uh, when their will has been thwarted, they let you know, don't they? And even my parrot, when its will has been thwarted, it lets me know. Yeah, I learned that this week. Um, so, becoming unoffendable. 
Have you ever uh, thought about this concept before? Has it, something, has it been something that was brought to your attention? Or is it new to you today? Do you think it is even possible that you or I could become unoffendable? You might say, no, that's not possible because that's the equivalent of saying sinless perfection. But is it really? Let's just continue on with this idea. What really drew my attention to this subject has been the, the teaching of a, a man from the United States called Todd White. Um, he uh, was, became a Christian about 11 years ago from a, a really uh, rough background, drugs and all kinds of things. And um, he's been preaching the gospel around the world now for most of those years since. He had a dramatic conversion. And uh, one of the things that he has been... Uh, his attention has been drawn to this whole topic of unoffendableness. He goes into a, a situation and he starts witnessing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden the person will protest and will start to rant and rave and uh, be angry at him. So he has a choice right now to um, be upset back, to raise the tempo, um, to walk away, to go into a huff. But no, he takes the posture of a duck and he lets it just rush, run off him. Why, why, why does he do that? How can he do that? Well, one of the things that he says helps him to do that is to realize that this person who is ranting and raving is speaking from pain, from a place of pain. Their pain, their past, the way they've been treated, and maybe the way that they've understood God to be. And so he just lets them go and lets them go for a while. And uh, he may answer gently, he may, may not, but say it's a waiter in a restaurant. After a while um, uh, of having been served and everything like that and commenting on them, uh, commending them and building them up, he will tip them, and perhaps quite a lot. And so this previous, previously antagonistic waiter or waitress who has been telling him to shut up about Jesus melts before him as he gives her or him that generous tip. The offender, the offended uh, offend, offend it, offend, offend it, offend cycle has been broken. That person has only been used to uh, being offended and then offending back and then being offended again. So when something like this wonderful happens, they don't know what to do. They've been disarmed. And uh, the grace of God pours in. Very often it ends in tears. Not bad tears, good tears. As people repent, opportunities open up to pray for illnesses opportunities open up to have a word of knowledge or to preach the gospel on many occasions. And uh, that all came from Todd learning to become unoffendable. I remember being on the streets of Bangor, my hometown, and uh, someone came along and shouted occultic things at our um, open-air uh, meeting. Uh, we were uh, out there with our tea and biscuits, serving nightclubbers and talking to them about the gospel. Someone came along and, and uh, opened up with a, an occultic rant, and uh, I took the bait and shouted back. And then I realized, you know, in, in retrospect, that was not good. I should not have uh, stood up in that way for Jesus, because he's well able to stand up for himself. I should have shown love in that occasion. And um, because that breaks that cycle of being offended and offending. Who in our experience, was able to do that. Well, if we look back into 1 Peter, this is going to be our Bible reading today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 
we'll read from there. Uh, it took a long time to get there, but we got to the Word, and we'll read it um, as God's inerrant Word this morning. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in a step. So there you go. We are to follow in the example of Christ. That's a command, isn't it? That's... uh, Uh, very clear there. So moving on to verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. What a wonderful passage of God's Word. So, going back to unoffendability, what is involved in reaching the place of unoffendability, of being unoffendable? I believe that in the case of Jesus, he was at that place um, where he was not offended because of uh, one thing in particular. And it happened in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when his father said to him, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus had a rock-solid assurance that he was the son of the father, and that was unshakable. From that base, he was able to take insult. He was able to absorb those things, or deflect them, perhaps is better to say, because um, they didn't stick to him. Uh, so, so when Jesus, Jesus was secure in who he was, and in verse 23, uh, it refers primarily to when he was hanging on the cross, that incidence of when they hurled their insults at him. I'm sure they hurled their insults at him many times, but I believe that this particular case is when he was hanging on the cross. He did not retaliate, although he had the power to do so. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't even threaten them with, you will get your comeuppance. Um, or anything like that. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And there is another key to becoming unoffendable. Entrusting ourselves to the one who uh, judges justly. And that that is vitally important. As I looked over this, I believe there are about five things that I see. And as I always say, that doesn't mean it's limited to those five. There are probably five more that I haven't seen. But there are five things that will help us in our quest to become unoffendable. And the first one uh, we've already touched on, knowing our identity in Christ. Now, we have a course that deals with that. And if you haven't been on the Freedom in Christ course yet, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, It's a bit late for this semester, but in the second half of the year, we trust that we'll be able to do that again. Uh, I would encourage you to go on that and find out about your identity in Christ, which leads to freedom in Christ. 
So then, once we know that, we can be convinced of our security in Christ. When we are secure in Christ, there is no need to retaliate, to hurl insults back at people, uh, to try and get even. That is not the way. And then verse 23 again, Jesus trusted absolutely in Christ. So there's three, knowing our identity in Christ and closely related, convinced of our security in Christ. And then thirdly, having absolute trust in Christ. And then two more, and we've mentioned one of these already. Realizing that the offender or the one who is giving offense is coming from a place of pain. They're coming from a place of hurt and uh, sinfulness. And what, did, what was Jesus' response to that? It was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And I believe that uh, our friend Todd, that when he hears that stuff, he's also saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And if we can remember to do that the next time we're offended, I believe that that will just remove from us so much of that negative energy and emotion that pushes us to the point of retaliation. And then fifthly, um, when we realize that Jesus has already borne this offense that is coming towards us, there's no need for us to bear it again. Jesus has already borne it. We can deflect it. And uh, Isaiah 53 tells us that he, he bore our transgressions. So if we are convinced of all these five things. I believe that it becomes possible to disarm offense and let it fall off us like water of a duck's back. Now, some may say, does that mean that there is no place for anger in the Christian life? Now, some speakers will say, some theologians will say, Yes, there's a place. Others will say, no, there's absolutely no place. Anger is only for God. But I think if a, a careful reading of the Scriptures will show us that God and Jesus and men of God throughout the Bible became angry legitimately, I still think there is a place for righteous anger. And if we are made in the image of God and God gets angry, then to be in the perfect image of God, there must be a place for righteous anger. But it is not the same thing as becoming offended, I, I believe. So what is the difference between becoming offended or taking offense and becoming righteously angry? I think the difference is, in, is that in becoming offended, it always works against us. It's inward turning. It churns us up and causes us to, to retaliate. And it affects our total well-being to take offense. Whereas righteous anger, I believe, on the other side, can be channeled towards positive and constructive ends. Uh, I, I think it cannot be kept for long. I think it has to be, uh, Ephesians tells us to stop it before sundown, uh, the end of the day. But um, I believe that a lot of uh, our uh, social reformers, Christian social reformers, that have left us with a society like we have today, uh, Elizabeth Fry, uh, Lord Chatsworth, um, people like that, reformed the prisons, reformed the workplace. What they saw initially angered them. But they channeled that anger into constructive uh, ways, which ended up in a reformation of society. Uh, William Wilberforce was another one. Surely he was angry at slavery, but he dealt with it in a, in a proper way. So just because we are um, told not to be offended doesn't mean that anger has no place in our life. 
Now, you will find, as I said before, some uh, speakers will say that there is no place at all for anger in a Christian's life. But um, I think from reading the Scriptures, where it says in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Do, let, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. So um, why is it important to come to the place of unoffendability? I'm sure you, you realize that it's important. But uh, I'll give you one example. Um, shortly after Andre and I were married, we uh, went to Portugal to visit a friend of ours who's a missionary there, along with his mom and dad, Mark Loney. And Mark, if, if you're watching this, you'll know what I mean. Um, Mark and his mom and dad worked in uh, the Alentejo, which is a region of uh, Portugal. And uh, there were three cities in which work was going on. Uh, Cines and... Uh, San, Santo Andre, and another nameless town. I'll not name it because we have people who listen to us in Portugal. And um, in this nameless town, uh, the church struggled and struggled and struggled to get off the ground. Uh, even the Mormons had trouble there. And uh, we delved into why uh, this was so, and we realized that it was because people, once they took a grudge, they never let it go. They held on to it and held on to it and held on to it. And so there was no forgiveness and the church failed to thrive. Now, I'm sure there were demonic spirits uh, in that town. Is it up there? Yeah, there it is. See up there at the very top of the town, that's, uh, there's a big graveyard in there. And when we went in there, we just felt the spirit of death or an evil spirit over the whole place. It was a horrible place to be. And doubtless there were uh, demonic powers uh, controlling that town, but they had unwitting human allies who, through their failure to forgive and failure to give up grudges, taking offense and keeping it, they caused a, a spirit to have a, a reason to be there. And thankfully, you know, I just I had a, another look at this nameless town uh, on the internet, and then I discovered two evangelical churches there. And I trust and pray that they have gotten over this and have begun to forgive and stop being offendable. Now, coming back to Eltham Baptist, it is my experience in EBC that we are not, and I repeat, not characterized by taking offense and holding it. That is clear. That is very clear. However, who of us um, is unoffendable yet in small ways, in our homes and in our work and in our society where we, where we mix have we arrived there at that place where everything just goes off us like water of a duck? Perhaps if you've ticked that box, you know where you are. Um, at the high end, highly offendable, low end, uh, never offendable, you know where you are. But I believe that we all need to press towards that unoffendableness that is uh, necessary for the smooth running and the success of homes, businesses, and churches. And I think we can, we can all take steps towards that. Remember what I mean by that, unoffendable? Always ready and able not to be offended. No matter what time of day, we're always ready and always able not to be offended. I think that is a possible statement. I believe it's doable. And I also believe that we still have residual sin there, uh, tendency towards sin. Now, um, Perhaps when we talk about being offended, we should rather put it in the active sense rather than the passive sense, because being offended uh, tends to think that it's somebody else 
acting on us and we're passive in it all. But you know, the whole thing should rather be said taking offense because it is a choice. Someone could stand in front of you all day and insult you, but to become offended is your choice, ultimately. My choice. No matter what they say, it could actually just run off us if we have everything right in our hearts and our minds. Knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing our security in Christ. Trusting in the one who judges. Knowing that that person is ranting and raving from a place of pain. And knowing that Jesus Christ has already borne that pain. We can potentially and very realistically stand there and deflect it all. And so that's why I say to become offended is actually a choice that we make, not the offender. They have no power over us as we abide in Christ and remember those five things. Now, um, there are very many dangers of harboring an offense. If we harbor offenses, we allow these destructive roots to grow deep inside of us. First, we take the offense, and then we give it a home. And uh, these roots warp and destroy our character, making our relationships difficult and fraught with tension. In those relationships, love leaves. When a grudge, when offense has been taken, love leaves. It can no longer function. And the relationships go downhill all the time. Relationships in the home, I'm thinking of. All of us have relationships in the home unless we live alone. Even then, we might have a little dog and uh, it might bear the brunt of our offense at times. So um, we all have occasion to um, live this thing out. Choice to harbor an offense or choice to let it go. Um, there's a picture of the little harbor that, of my village in Annalong, County Down, where I was born into. And um, a harbor is supposed to be a safe place, isn't it? And uh, there was a, a, a southeastern breakwater, and uh, it used to protect the harbor from most of the waves. But if there was a particularly bad storm coming, they'd have to put these gates in, the boom gates. And they were to stop waves coming into the harbor to destroy the boats. This was a particularly bad storm. It washed the gates away uh, in the harbor. We must keep those gates up against the fence because if the offense gets in, it'll destroy the boats in the harbor. It'll destroy everything inside of us. So what are the implications of becoming unoffendable? Does it mean that I become a lapdog or a doormat? Does it? Um, or a pushover? Do you think that's what it actually means? Well, let me put it this way. Um, he who turns cursing around to blessing is no doormat. She who deflects insults and offers love and peace instead is no pushover. Wouldn't you agree? It's actually the hard thing to do. But when we see these things that uh, we mentioned already, our, our identity in Christ, our security in Christ, and uh, the trust in the one who judges justly, and that the person that's ranting and raving against us is coming from a place of pain, and that Jesus has borne those things already. When we see all those things, we will be able to 
do these things. We'll not be a doormat. We won't be a pushover. But we'll be something very, very powerful and very strong. So um, I'll just... Uh, what, what does it look like to be unoffendable? As I said before, we'll look to Jesus as our example. When they hurled their insults at him, did he hurl them back? No, he didn't. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I love the King James rendering of that um, because it's from way back and it sticks deeply in my mind. Some of you older ones might have heard it. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. That is a beautiful thing. To revile a person is a, um, to abuse someone insultingly to their face, right up there in their face. How hard is that? This happened to Jesus on the cross. Now, we are facing more and more in these days the prospect of persecution. Uh, increasingly, Christians are being targeted as um, fair game. Like, for instance, in the University of Sydney, which is one of the oldest institutions in Australia, uh, in this last couple of weeks, they have told the uh, evangelical, uh, Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students that if they do not open their leadership to non-Christians, they will have to leave the university and meet somewhere else. They've told the Catholics that if they do not allow non-Catholics into the leadership of their organization, they will have to move somewhere else. That's a form of persecution. I think there are ways and means of overcoming that, and that uh, primarily through prayer and committing ourselves to the Lord who just judges justly. But that would be a case for our brothers and sisters to become riled or um, offended. And perhaps the initial thought in many of their hearts was offense. But may the Lord give them uh, just that peace and that higher strength to overcome that in a gracious manner. And may they, the doors of that university be open to them again. However, what about um, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East who face Islamic Jihad and um, ISIS? We have seen over and over again uh, over the last year, maybe a year and a half, lines of Christians being slaughtered um, by Islamic Jihad. That is uh, the highest offense, isn't it, in many ways? Yet, many of those dear brothers and sisters uh, gracefully knelt there, and the last words on their lips were, Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they entrusted themselves to him who judges justly. Um, you and I may be called to such an end. Uh, I remember way back in June or so in 1986, a group of us went to the southern uh, Guatemalan town of Jutiapa um, to do a kind of an A-team with the ship. And uh, while we were there, one of our young men was asked to preach in the Assemblies of God Church. And his topic was uh, martyrdom and dying for Jesus. His name is Sam Ram. He comes from Singapore. And I remember very clearly, although it was 30 years ago, the, uh, 29 years ago, the, in, the uh, intensity of his message and how it gripped me. And we were sitting there and each of us were wondering, would we uh, go all the way for Jesus? Would we die for him? At that point in time, the situation in the world didn't look like it would happen to us. Times were different. Today, it looks more like it possibly could. 
Would we be able to stand in that situation? And I believe that, you know, that saying that Jesus made, uh, to, to whom much is uh, given, much is expected. And he who is faithful in little shall be entrusted with much. I think if we are able to overcome the small offenses in our lives, to let them deflect, we will be able to gradually overcome bigger and bigger and bigger offenses until the point when someone threatens us with death. We will also be able to stand firm. So, as I said at the beginning, we would come back to the cross. And uh, up until now, I've been speaking to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the majority here today. But now, I don't expect non-believers to be sure of their position in Christ when they're not in Christ. I don't expect those foundations to be in place to give all the reasons to overlook offenses. I want to speak to you today about a huge offense that you need to get over. And that is the, the preaching of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so offensive, you may ask? Well, um, I'll show you. This might sound offensive. First of all, the cross shouts out loud and clear to each one of us, and especially to those who don't know Jesus yet, that you're a hopeless case. Your condition is hopeless apart from Jesus. It also gives us a measure of how deep our sin and rebellion goes. It's so deep that the creator of all the universe sent his son to die. That's how deep your sin is and my sin. And again, basically it shows that there's nothing you can do, no law you can keep to make it right with God. John Piper says something even more offensive, I think. He says, the message of Christ crucified says that you're an absolute failure in relation to what is most important. We are all absolute failures in relation to what is most important. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that you can do to rectify your lost estate. That has been done by Jesus Christ. Again, John Piper says, the cross embodies some of the most offensive things possible you could say about someone in relation to God and eternity. This gruesome death that Jesus died, you earned it. The hell that Jesus endured, you deserved it forever. The shame that Jesus underwent, the scorn, the disrespect, the hurt, all these are as suitable to us sinners as they are unsuitable to the sinless one. That is offensive, but it's true. And if you've not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior, the only way to deal with this offense is to accept the truth of it and accept the Lord Jesus into your life as Savior. So, because one day you will stand before your Creator. And if you'd stand up and say that His teaching was offensive, it's not going to get you anywhere. Accept that it is offensive to your human nature and trust him for salvation. This offensive news can be turned into wonderful, amazing news as it's changed into vital information that we need to obtain righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if the last thing that you ever were offended about was the cross of Jesus Christ? And he led you into 
a life of unoffendability after that, as you accepted what he's done on the cross. I believe that if we really do understand that it's possible to become unoffendable, things will be different this week. Like if, if today, as a result of what you hear, you avoid taking one offense and we multiply that by 250, Melbourne's going to be different next week, isn't it? Your workplace is going to be different. Your school is going to be different. Your home is going to be different. And if we keep doing that and keep doing that and we grow in it, there's going to be transformation in this place. Remember what Jesus said when, to those who tried to forgive him or to offend him. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I want you to know this um, one thing is sure. That after or even before you leave this building, you're going to receive a test. You're going to have homework this week. And uh, I trust that all of us will pass as we go out there and do it. It's one sure thing. We have a choice. The choice is take the offense or deflect it. Take the offense or deflect it. And that choice may come to us 50 times a day. How, how many times do we have to deflect it? 50. Or if we go to the scripture, 70. So Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive man or men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Maybe today you need to talk to somebody here about an offense that you took that they may have intended or may not have intended to give. Today would be a good day to go and approach that person and say sorry and make up. It's always a good day to do that. Uh, and uh, I trust that we can, we'll be able to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the unoffendable one. As you walked and lived in this earth, you let those offenses fall off you. You did not retaliate. You are our example. And we ask you that today, in every walk of life that we enter, we will become ever more unoffendable to the point where it becomes a habit, a glorious habit, where we show the love of Christ to our failure to take offense. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.